Hello, folks. This is the Barack Lurie Podcast. This is Barack Lurie. Thanks so much for checking in with us. With me, as always, is Ari David, my producer and friend. Always a pleasure. We do like to say that, don't we? Always a pleasure. Um, because life is short and we find the little joys in life that, that do really advance us and make every day a little bit more pleasant. And uh, you know what we love, both you and I, Ari, I think we love coming upon epiphanies. We, we learn things, um, things that help kind of elucidate the world for us, right? Um, I mean, you, you had a very good one the other day, and I, and I, I want to give credit to you uh, about the world of uh, Planned Parenthood, shall we say, and what they do at Planned Parenthood. Why am I a little bit cautious about this, folks? Because my wonderful children are in the studio with me right now. So I'm a little bit careful about the words that I say. So the things that happen at Planned Parenthood, um, you know what I'm talking about. And Ari came up with a very good solution to this whole thing. He said, look, let's compromise. Let's have a compromise where the things that clinics do, like they do at Planned Parenthood. That word that starts with an A. Right. It starts with an A. Um, it should be completely legal. No problem at all. Just, you know what? Why don't, you know, just bust open the doors. Only one caveat. The only place where they, such things can be provided is at the VA. <laughs> uh, <laughs> with the inherent waiting time. That's right, yeah. So you'll get one in seven years or and so. And it'll be free. <laughs> it'll be totally free. You, uh, Government will pay for it. That's right. Every one of them. <laughs> you are set. Okay? Is that a good compromise, folks? Yeah, let's see how much Democrats want socialized medicine. Wait a minute. You say, you say that that's a little, that's not really going to work because, it, you know, seven years means that, you know, baby will be born by then. Oh, is that a problem for you? I'm sorry. Well, how, how about this, folks? How about, why don't you do this? How about a compromise for us? How about you actually understand that the VA was horrendous to people. On the one hand, you understand that you want these things that Planned Parenthood does available on demand immediately. And paid for by the government. Well, at least subsidized by the government yeah, because what Planned Parenthood is, is ostensibly a private organization. You want it subsidized by the government, and yet at the same time, uh, and you, well, you want it to be available. But at the same time, the VA, you're okay with them kind of waiting and dying. That's okay with you. So you definitely think that providing such services, the clinical services that Planned Parenthood provides, is something that is okay. And in fact, uh, that's very important and far more important than soldiers who have to wait for a kidney trans, uh, you know, replacement or any of the other things that caused 40 of them to die simply because they were waiting, waiting for their gosh darn operation or their treatment. How pathetic. And waiting for things like starting chemotherapy that any doctor will tell you, if you have cancer, we have to start yesterday. Yesterday, exactly. Not in seven years, not in ten yeah. years. Ari, I, I think that this point of yours was such a brilliant point, and it elucidates the complete uh, lack of moral thinking uh, among the left and the hypocrisy of the left. Uh, this is a, what, what I call Sandra Fluke reasoning. Right. Yeah. This is the woman who said, uh, you know, this is this woman who wanted contraceptives available upon demand that the government should be doing this. And this was the most important thing. 
compared to all the other horrendous things that are going on in the world, like chemical weapons in Syria, like the Iranian bomb that they're trying to develop in Iran. Those things, not so important, my friends. What really matters is whether or not I, Sandra Fluke, and others like me have the ability to protect ourselves from unwanted uh, pregnancy. And uh, that's what really matters here. And this is the essence. This is our, our national debate. We are going to change things. Look, if the world saw this, and actually, you know, people from 50 years ago saw what the future was like in the year 2014, and they said, okay, here are the news items for the day. And they see some woman, you know, going up to the mic in Congress, and she's about to testify about something very important. And we were wondering, okay, here's an elegant-looking young lady, seems to be in her late 20s, early 30s, and uh, let's hear what she has to say. Surely she will be talking about a very important project uh, that, that she's facing, the plight of women in Africa or the Muslim world, and what we must do to stop honor killings, for example. What is she talking about? No, no, she's talking about, I want some free condoms, baby. <laughs> That's what she wants. <laughs> I, I, I just, I'm so embarrassed for the sake of our country, for our progeny, for the, for the legacy that we've left, you know, for our ancestors, as it were, looking at who we are today. Wouldn't you like to be able to say to George Washington, man, if you were around here today, you'd be so proud. I mean, there's some things that he would be like really in awe of. I think he would think that internet thing is totally cool. Like this podcast. This podcast, the telephone. The airplane. I mean, really, it would be mostly inventions, right? But when it came to the cultural things, he would say, what? What is happening to you guys? Really? You guys want to share bathrooms? You're saying that boys and girls are the same? You, you, really? It, and, and this contraceptive business, this is the, the main thing that's in the Howard Halls of Congress, that, that you're trying to mandate this? Putting aside the limited government issues, I mean, it's, it's craziness. But yeah. that's where we are. 230 years ago, I was worrying about the future of human liberty for the rest of time. Right. And th- this is what you did with it? This is but, what you did. But, you know, to be fair to both General Washington and us, it really, it really exposes something that I think might be kind of interesting, which yeah. is perhaps the notion of the wisdom of our elders is overblown. In other words, when you listen to um, politicians from the Deep South during the Jim Crow era give political speeches, and right. you look at them today, you say to yourself, what an idiot. Right. So it's happened before that there have been less than stellar intellectuals in high elected places <laughs> who've made really dumb speeches. It's very true. And in the future, we'll look back at John Kerry, Jerry Brown, Sandra Fluke with the same eye. Ah, I thought you would never say John Kerry. And here it is, that segue that we were looking That's for. That's why I said it. That's why you're here. Look, uh, <laughs> Sandra Fluke. Sandra I'm Fluke. Sorry, I'm gonna laugh really hard <laughs> on this one. <laughs> yeah, he likes this one. He likes this one. Um, <laughs> first of all, um, we're seeing something. I mean, John Kerry is the is the politician, the administration official that keeps on giving, right? The gift that keeps on giving. He's the <laughs> gift that keeps on giving. First, we had him say this comment about apartheid, right? Uh, that the Israel is somehow an apartheid nation. Yes, it was off the record and such like that. But you know what? In vino veritas, as they say, if he actually thinks that that is a way to speak about 
the Israeli situation, the Middle East situation, then he believes to some extent that that's, that's an appropriate vocabulary word to use with regard to Israel. Of course, it's not. Then he says, I think only four days later, he says he mocks Christianity, uh, presumably Christianity, without saying it as, as such, to be fair to him, uh, but uh, talking about ancient ideas that were 2,000 years old and that we shouldn't be living that way. Okay, I think we read you loud and clear here, Mr. Carey. Uh, you have uh, some sort of animus toward this Christianity thing. Um, I, I hope that works somehow. Um, you know, you really, you really best be hoping that the, uh, the country is really railing against Christianity, and you're riding the crest of that, that tidal wave against Christianity. Led by Sandra Fluke. Led, uh, thank you, exactly right. Um, I, I don't think you're going you're gonna to win on this one. The tide is going the other direction, my friend. That's, uh, and, and thank goodness we're, gonna, we're having more Christianity in the world, more faith in God in the world. Um, maybe that's, that's our saving grace. There's some good things happening in the world, folks. And I think that the, the embrace of God is, is one of them. Uh, and I think partly, part of the, it's, it's twofold reason. One is that people are beginning to see the devastating consequences of a godless world. They don't like it. They don't like it. Um, they see the benefits of the, a world with God. Uh, one of the best things that I think we do in our family is we have a God-centered family. We talk about God every day. Without, you know, we're not that observant, oddly enough. I mean, we're not deeply religious. We don't uh, daven in the morning and such like that in, in the Jewish sense. You like your BLT sandwiches for lunch? You know? No, I don't have BLT, <laughs> but that's another story. But we do keep kosher. Um, but you know, look, we drive on Saturdays. And that's, that's not keeping uh, Shabbat, right? But we think about God all the time. We talk about God. We, we understand our role, that, that we are not the center of the world. God is the center of the world. And that helps. I think kids like it. I like it. It really helps our family. Here's another reason why I think we're getting to get more and more in the world of faith, and that you'll see more people believe in God. And the answer? Science. Science is showing us ever more fascinating things going on, uh, and we embrace it. And as we embrace that science, we see how complex it is, how it's more and more crazy how complex it is. And, and it's just more and more impossible to explain that complexity by way of a random mutations, whether by evolution or by, uh, by, any, by, by the laws of physics or otherwise. It's or just an accident, an accident, as you've pointed out before. Right. And, and here's, here's the thing about this is that when people talk about evolution, you know, that only applies to living organisms, right? It, it, it only applies to the, you know, even if you accept it, which you should not, but let's say you accepted this notion, it applies to living organisms, the complexity of the human condition, right? The, 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 all the incredible complexity in our bodies were far more sophisticated uh, in our brain than anything that we could ever devise in a computer, whether it's the iPad or the iPhone. I mean, just this morning, my son, Max, he said, he asked me the question, um, what's more sophisticated, an adult brain or an iPhone? And I said to him, not only is an adult brain far more sophisticated than an iPhone, but a child's brain is far more sophisticated than an iPhone. And we will never develop a, an iPhone that is more sophisticated than even a baby's brain, not even more sophisticated than that. 
That semen, it may add numbers, yes, really faster than a, than a baby can. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the processing that goes on in a baby or in a child being able to reason. Uh, you, can't, you can't mirror that. But that's another thing. That's just the complexity of it. And even if you embrace the evolution argument, which I think is absurd, but let's say you did, it doesn't explain all the other complexities in the universe. Rocks, minerals. Yeah. Things that aren't organic or alive. Right. Or, but, but what about the complexities of gravity? Yeah. Or the electron? Or stars, how stars work. Stars work. I mean, that's even more sophisticated. And to ignore that complexity, because uh, you can't explain that by evolution. They do want to say that that's somehow all random because you know, everything is random for them. Everything, nothing could have possibly happened with any structure. So they go about this whole evolution thing. They, they, they use basically an anecdotal piece of evidence. They, they always try to bring the example of changing a skin color or fur color like the polar bear in the Cosmos show, right? Uh, but that's really anecdotal. You, would, you couldn't possibly – if you were to say that, uh, I don't know, all Jews are – uh, conservative, based upon you know you and me, right? Because we're both conservative, you would say well, that's not really a very good sample size, and you'd be right because in fact most Jews are liberal, uh, sadly. But that's what that that is the truth. But I mean, I would love to for them to be all conservative, but that's that would be a poor argument, right? But from an evolution point of view, using the polar bear example with a fur and then say, ta-da, you see, evolution works, and therefore it applies with regard to everything. That is a poor argument, and it's just as bad an argument as to say that all Jews are conservative because you and I, Ari, are conservative, right? I think that's a good point. Um, so now let, let me pivot back a little bit um, because, the, and it's just something to say, the science will, is another reason why people become more and more uh, faith-based. It's just too incredible, literally incredible. Now, going back to John Kerry, speaking about incredible things, um, what, what does he say recently? You know, every once in a while, you get, you get people saying to you, well, what's, why not just you know, take such and such position? You know, there's no harm to you. So once in a blue moon, you know, I could tell my brother, or other atheists, I say, you know, what's the harm of believing in God? Because there's no downside for you, right? <laughs> you're only gonna, you're only gonna be um, uh, in a position where you you embrace God. Okay, great. Then, and if there is no God, well, then you you maybe spent a little time, you know, praying to something that doesn't exist. But boy, you know, if, if you're required to believe in God in order to go into heaven, well, then maybe you should just to keep your your bets safe, right? You can say, all right, well, that, that's no harm, no foul, right? But what if, you know, you, you're required to believe in climate change, for example, as uh, John Kerry wants us to believe? So his argument, uh, what's the harm if we all embrace climate change, right? <laughs> Here's the harm, Mr. Kerry, because what you want us to do as a consequence of embracing climate change and fighting climate change is so devastating to the economy. All the cap-and-trade law. All the cap-and-trade so. laws. It, it, would, it would completely destroy employment. It would ramp up prices. It would uh, you know, defeat our energy independence. Um, 
and and we would just our economy would totally go in the tank. I have one just to throw in that few people think about that. I learned from fellow Manan, the people who made are making the Gazelle movie right now. It would take away our freedom of travel, our freedom of movement. Oh, of course, it would it would be devastating in every respect. You couldn't respect. drive a car across the city or across the state or across the country, let alone internationally, without registering your travel and your mileage. Oh, it's, it's absurd. We, we, you know, there's so many consequences of this, uh, but that, that's the problem. And, and it's so emblematic of the liberal mindset. They don't think about consequences. They just don't think about it. And John Kerry is saying, what's the harm? Like, you really haven't thought about this, have you, Mr. So Kerry? What's the you, harm of getting hit in the head with a crowbar? Well, 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 hang on. You haven't thought about this. This is the thing that, that fascinates me, that for him to actually pose that rhetorical question, what's the harm if we all embrace climate change? Man, oh, man, how could you say this? This is the whole argument that we've been pre presenting. The conservative response to climate change is that it will be devastating and you haven't presented evidence that it's true or that we're going to have a devastating impact or that we can do anything about it. But so you want us to change everything and then you, you think there's no harm to this? Anyway, why am I so surprised? I, I really shouldn't be so surprised. This is the way liberals think. They don't think in terms of consequences. Dennis Prager talks about this quite a bit, saying, you know, being liberal means that you, you know, you don't ask consequences. Uh, and as soon as you start asking about what are the consequences of the policy that I present, if you really think it through, then you're on the road to conservatism. You may not be a formal liberal right away, but you begin to, to realize this is, this could be bad. Can I ask you a question? Of course. So what's more sophisticated, the iPhone or the iPad or the liberal brain? Oh, boy, now you've really put me in a quandary. Oh, shoot. <laughs> or should I say the liberal thinking I mean, process? Yeah, because they, they've shut off so much of their logical ability to reason. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, man, that is a quandary. That's almost like you're, boy, you're, you're on a roll. You know, the, the thing with the... It's the chess. It's like the, the abortion thing and the, and the VA thing that was a, a, a great juxtaposition. And now you're putting this... This juxtaposition of of whether the iPhone and the liberal mind versus a regular, you know, any Don't other. Don't forget mind. national healing in the podcast the other day. Oh yes, remember? Yeah, been, yeah. You've been having me play chess, so now I'm thinking in these. You're thinking about abstract these. terms. <laughs> uh, darn it! I've created a monster. I don't. I don't want to create monsters, but anyway, it's just a, it's a really interesting point. Look, I mean, uh, John Kerry. Why doesn't he think about the consequences? I mean, why, why not say? You know, what's the harm if, if uh, Iran gets the bomb, right? I mean, yeah, it's, it's too bad that they get the bomb. What's the harm? I mean, it should be obvious, but he doesn't think about it. I, I think that he thinks that the harm in getting the bomb with Iran is that they may use it uh, on this or that country, and that's it, right? And so in his, his mind, he's thinking, well, they're not actually going to use it because we would devastate them. No, Mr. Kerry, you don't get it. The consequences of getting the bomb is not so much in their use of the bomb, the actual use of the bomb. Um, it's the threat of using the bomb. Now, Ari, you play chess right now. You know that if you, you both lose your queen in chess and you, you still have your pawn and it goes all the way to the other end of the board, you get another queen, right? 
That changes the game, doesn't it? <laughs> That's what a nuclear bomb is. A nu- getting the nuclear bomb changes the entire game. And it changes the entire geopolitical structure of the Middle East. It's not the actual threat of you. It's not the actual use of the bomb. It's the threat. It changes the entire dynamic. What's the harm? And what's the harm in using uh, chemical weapons in Syria? I mean, they're suddenly acting like there's no harm because that's what they're doing. Now it's chlorine that they're using. Um, so what's the harm in, uh, you know, taking over Ukraine, right? I mean, why are they all hot and bothered about Ukraine? Well, the truth is they're not hot and bothered. This is an administration that is constantly asking themselves, what's the harm? What's the harm? What's the harm, right? Uh, what's the harm in, uh, I don't know, giving food stamps to everyone? What's the harm in putting, what is it? It's now a record 11 million on disability, 11 million people. Uh, and, and what's the harm in, uh, in you, know, com- you know, funding more and more of the public school? What's the harm in uh, giving more and more in terms of welfare? I mean, of, of course, there are, there are answers to this. What's the harm in, in having a minimum wage be uh, $20? What's the harm in all the corruption and wasted money in the shovel-ready projects? Right. Yeah, what's, what's the, the harm? harm? It can only be good. Uh, it, it, it's so childish. It's like... Uh, it's like any of my, you know, any of my children saying all of a sudden, well, you know, um, let's just get more money. Uh, you know, I, I remember once talking to my son, I think he was four years old, and uh, I said something about, um, uh, you know, a car got a minor dent. And he said, well, why don't we just get another car? And I explained to him that it costs money to get another car. And he said, all right, we'll just... Uh, just get more money. And he, he thought it just came from the sky. But you see, that's liberal thinking. It just comes from the sky. And uh, a higher minimum wage uh, just comes from the employers. You know, they can just do it. You're just going to force these employers to pay more out of their own pocket to their employees. It won't have any impact, no impact on your decision to hire or to fire. None, none at all. No, no, please make us pay more to our employees, and I will just keep the same number of employees as I ever did. But you know what? They'll call it a loophole in the future, that, that the, the, the workaround for that is that they'll fire people. Okay? Then, then the Obama administration or whoever is, is taking over on the liberal side, they'll say, well, we got to stop that. we got to stop people from terminating their employees simply because the the cost of hiring an employee is too much. Um, that is, we've got to stop that. That is a loophole. We will plug that right now. And guess what? All of a sudden, you're working for the state. That's what happens. It, it really encompasses such a foolish worldview. Uh, the liberals on the economy think that money is just this finite amount of this uh, stack of paper that just happens to move from one place to another, and it doesn't matter where it goes or where it comes from, because it'll just keep moving. Right. And there's only so much of it, and there's only, and it's kind of like the amount of gold on planet Earth. Right. It can't be destroyed. It can't be taken away. It just circulates. <laughs> That's right. Well, and the government has it all, and employers have them all. Never mind that that the the government has it all only because the employers are making it. But that's another story. But the government has all this money. And employers, well, they can just, you know, just, just tell us what the minimum wage is and we'll be happy to pay it. 
and on all the money and everything belongs to the government. They just let you, little John Q. Citizen, use it while you're alive. Yeah. And then upon which it evaporates back into the big pool of protoplasm of money. <laughs> That's right. And, and evolves and recirculates again and again. Well, here's, here's the, that's logical of, of the, the liberal thinking. And yes, to some extent, it's all liberal thinking. I, I had a complaint from a, I uh, got an email from a liberal listener, and they said, how can I speak so, uh, in such a blanket manner with regard to all liberals? And, uh, you know, the answer is I can. Because liberalism, in the way people think, is by definition... Uh, a failure to think of consequences. It's very rare. For, we talked before about how liars always lie, right? Uh, lazy people are always lazy. You know, a dishonest person, and I'm not saying the liberals are dishonest. I'm simply trying to show about, I'm talking about consistency. A really dishonest person is not really dishonest in one area and then is super honest in other areas, right? I mean, it's very hard for a dishonest person to compartmentalize himself. They're generally speaking dishonest in every facet of their lives, a lazy person, likewise, tends to be lazy in most of the facets of their lives, except for the things that they really love doing, right? So if they, if they love to ice skate, then, well, I suppose they'll be good in ice skating, and they won't be lazy about it. But it's not as if, you know, they're lazy in one area of hard work, and then they're hardworking in other areas of hard work. So it's just not the way it's done. Just not the way. And likewise, liberals if there's one thing that's consistent about them is they don't think about consequences. They are all about being like John Kerry. What's the harm? What's the harm? They don't see the harm. And that is their problem. If they, if they saw the harm in one area, then they would see, they would start thinking that way in all areas. Just like what I told you about, the dishonest person always being dishonest. The liar always lies. So liberals think consistently. And so, yes, I can say it about all liberals. I can. And uh, once they kind of get out of that mindset, that's when they start embracing um, reason and logic. But that's what I can say about liberals. You can never accuse a liberal of thinking things through. Right? So uh, that's the insult that so many people have uh, when it comes to these things. They have to be insulted, first and foremost. Anyway... Uh, folks, it's been a pleasure talking to you. This is Barack Lurie signing off for the Lurie Law Podcast. We'll talk to you next week.